0: Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. We're kicking off a new series today called Running in Circles. And um, I looked up the definition of what it means to run in circles. And uh, I I started, when I was thinking about this series, the graphic came from seeing a hamster. Anybody have a hamster? Anybody ever had a hamster? Some of you are like, yes, I used to have a hamster as a kid, and then he went to be with Jesus. But there's a, I started thinking about the wheel and how this hamster, he's he's getting it. How many know he gets it in there? He's running as fast as he can, but dude ain't going anywhere. And he just is in this cycle of running, in this cycle of, of, of circles, and he's running in circles, but he's not going anywhere. And I really feel like as we prepare for this series over the next couple weeks, that God really wants to take some things in our life, and he wants to, to shift some things, but he wants to break toxic cycles in our life. We all have issues and things that we deal with when it comes to freedom. And you're like, you know, pastor, I'm not really, I don't do drugs, and I, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that, but, you, but listen, hold on a second. You have a tendency to have an anger problem, right? And so God wants us to get down. This series is about where are we running in circles in the depths of our heart that maybe we don't recognize it as an issue or a toxic cycle in our life? How are we going to break those things? And I tell you, I love singing worship songs about breaking stuff and, and stuff can fall off. But I tell you, 95% of freedom happens when your mind is renewed. When you start to change the way you think, you can change the way you live. When you start to change the way you think, you can change your behavior. And that's really what I want us to get across in this series over the next couple weeks, is fo- weeks focusing on freedom, but fo- focusing on those tendencies and those behaviors and those things in our life that we don't know how to necessarily change. And we feel like we're on the hamster wheel. We feel like we're going, we're, we're going in circles, but we're not really going anywhere. And it seems as if something's holding us up. And so I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks that we're able to kind of identify some of those things and help you move through them. So I looked up this the, the idea of running in circles, and it means this. It means to waste one's time and energy engaging in trivial, aimless pursuits. Young people, listen, listen, listen during this series. Because a lot of times as a young person, we find ourselves wasting our time and our energy, and then wasting our parents' time and their energy. Come on, somebody. That, that we're, we find ourselves in trivial, aimless pursuits, you know, the next generation that's coming up, hey, I'm cool with video games, play them, but just don't play them eight hours a day, right? Don't play, because uh, whenever you play video games, like, and you come out of the room and your parents try to say something to you, you kind of look like this because you've been doing this for eight hours and staring at a screen, and, well, pastor, video games, you're getting on. No, what I'm trying to communicate to you is there's, there's gonna be a day where you're gonna to have to have a conversation about what it means to have a job interview and you can't look like you got stuck in the, in the game Fortnite and you can't get out of it. Right, there's coming a day where you're gonna to have to have an interactive conversation with somebody and you can't just look at them and go, right? Or you will, I'm telling you, hey, $8.50 is on your way per hour if you look at them like that. Come on, somebody. Here's the point this morning, though, is is we don't need to, uh, when it comes to running in circles, also it means to fail to make any meaningful progress, right? In in life, sometimes we find ourselves that we're running on this hamsters, hamster's wheel, and there's things in our life that we struggle with, and we don't necessarily know what's holding us back. Um, how many of you ever seen that blow-up game where you put, it's, it's like a race, and you put a harness on, and it's got this bungee attached to it, and you run as hard as you can to try to touch the end, and you try to hit the bullseye with your hand or whatever, and you try, and, and most of the time people can't do it, and that bungee gets, and you run as hard as you can, all of a sudden you, you get there, and the momentum of, of the tension of the bungee pulls you back to the starting line. But you can never quite get to the finish line. You can never quite touch the the goal that's in front of you. And that's what running in circles does. It means that you're, you're not having any progress in life, that you're running as hard as you can, but something just keeps pulling you backwards to where you don't actually get to the goal that God has for you. It also means this, it means busy doing something without achieving anything important or making progress. Have you ever found yourself saying, I have a tendency to something? I have a tendency to be angry. I have a tendency to be um, uh, 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 a hoarder. (laughs) Oh, God. I I have a tendency um, to blank. You fill in the blank. I have a tendency to be a a, a, a pessimist, ooh. I I have a tendency to be negative. Uh, They have a tendency to be negative, now it's off of you and on somebody else. When you find yourself talking about tendencies, you're talking about something that is like that bungee cord that's holding you back from pursuing all God has for your life. A tendency is this, it's an inclination toward a particular characteristic or type of behavior, a a proneness to a particular kind of thought or action. That's a tendency. Now, listen. I got that from the dictionary. A tendency is an inclination toward a particular characteristic or type of behavior. Some of you are addicted to things on the internet because you have a tendency in this area, and and and, and here's the definition. He says uh, the definition is a particular characteristic or type of behavior, a proneness to a particular kind of thought or action you have a tendency during stressful moments to run to certain things you some of you in this room have a hidden uh, addiction in the internet area but nobody knows about that addiction now i'm gonna get all in your business during this series and the reason i am is not to shame you is not to hurt you not to condemn you but give you the tools to get free from the secret life So he says a tendency. You have a tendency to run to alcohol, and you abuse alcohol because you're under stressful situations at work, right? That's the bungee cord that's keeping you back from fulfilling your purpose. That's why you don't have joy, and that's why you don't have happiness, is because you're running to the things that you're running to because that's a tendency in your life. Now that's the natural word for tendency. The word in the Bible for tendency is the word iniquity. So the natural level, if you was to read the dictionary, you'd see the word tendency. But the word uh, in the scripture for this is iniquity. It literally means this: a tendency or a bent place. It literally means an intentional twisting of a standard. That in life, the things that's holding us back is that we have a tendency or we have an iniquity in our life that came through Adam, it can come through your bloodline too. It can come through characteristics and tendencies and iniquity that you saw in your parents and your grandparents that can come into your present day and can affect your freedom. And he's, and the word iniquity means bent place, and when I think of bent place, I think of okay, I'm in a stressful moment and I bend my life towards something. In my life, that's called iniquity. I have a tendency to walk in this iniquity when I'm experiencing certain things in my life. There is a freedom issue. Now I think about it this way, this, this, this what I'm going to be sharing with has nothing to do whether or not you're saved or not saved. You are, you, if you said yes to Christ, Romans 10 says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm born again, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. Right, But listen to me, there's a story in the Bible about a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus was dead, the King James Version says that he was dead for four days. And see, literally what happens which you have to, when you read the Bible, read the Bible, is that if he would have been dead three days, they believed during that time that your spirit hovered over your body for three days. That there was a potential that Lazarus could have come back is why, he went, why they went to Jesus on the fourth day. So they went to Jesus on the fourth day, and the Bible says, by now, Lazarus stinketh. He was in the grave. He stinketh is what the scripture says. And so, but Jesus came to the end of the tomb, rolled the stone away, and said, come out, Lazarus. Well, Lazarus came out, says, hand in, bound hand and foot. Now, when we think of that, it's really like a mummified situation. They would take fabric around his ankles, around his hands, around his head, and they would, they would, they would basically mummify him. They would use this paste to, to take the fabric, and, and it would become a hard shell around Lazarus. So the Bible says this, that when Lazarus came out, he was bound hand and foot. So how did he go from the end of the grave to the, I believe God just, when Jesus had come out, he shot out, phew, there he was, right? Because he couldn't walk. And the Bible says that he was bound hand and foot, so here he comes right? But notice what Jesus said. If salvation was enough, Jesus would have never said this next phrase. He says, loose him and let him go. Or in other words, take the grave clothes off. See, there's a lot of Christians that have come from death to life like Lazarus did, and we go from death to life and we're alive. But at the end of the day, we still got a lot of grave clothes on that Jesus wants to loose and let go off your life. You can't come into your full potential with the grave clothes, folks. You're going to walk around looking crazy in the natural. If we walked around, us mummified, just walking through Walmart, just jumping, right? In the natural, but in the spirit, it's the same way. Some of you are struggling in areas that are still grave clothes issues. It's not a salvation issue, but it's something holding you back to fulfill the potential and the purpose that God has for your life. And so um, the word in, in Philippians chapter three, boy, that's some good stuff right there. That's worth the price of admission right there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14, says this, 12 through 14, I'm reading this out of the message, says this, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm not saying that I have all this together, none of us have it all together. See, I really believe transformation is a process, it's not me coming up in the old days like people would come to the altar and we pray for them, that's great, that's awesome, awesome, believe in it, do it, the whole deal. But 95% of your issues, again, are going to be tied to how you think, And people come to the altar and they think we're going to rave some magic wand on them and they're going to be free from pornography. That's not how it works. You're going to come and we're going to receive prayer and we're going to agree together. But when we agree together, we got to realize that when we leave this place, there's some work that has to be done. And the work that has to be done is in our mind. And so he, he says this, he says, he's acknowledging I don't have it all together, which we all should. He says that I've made it, but I am well on my way. Come on, somebody, you're well on your way. You're not, you're, I like to say it like this, you're not, uh, you're not, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Come on, somebody. So I'm moving forward. This is what he says. He says, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal. In the middle of the struggle, he said, "I got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus." Notice the central point of his drive is Jesus. It's not success. It's not a better title. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not any of that. He says, "My beckoning heart cry is Jesus." And then he says this. He says, "He says I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back." So I believe that we're going to get off some hamster wheels this month. Look at your neighbor and said, you've been running this way long enough. It's a long sentence. But listen to me today. I believe we're going to get off some hamster wheels. We're going to deal with some things in our life. We're going to have to get honest. And as we do, God's going to bring the freedom. But let's just declare right up front, we're not looking backwards. We're looking forward, and we're going to press towards Jesus this next month, and we're going to watch him do some amazing things in our life. So how do we stop running in circles? I'm going to use a story out of John chapter 4, and I'm going to give you a few keys. I'm going to give you actually one key today. John chapter 4, verse number 3. I'm going to read a lengthy story. I kind of want to summarize it, but I want to read it too. So uh, it's about the woman at the well, and I called this woman the woman who ran in circles. (laughs) So today, the title of today's message is, At the Well Again, Right, we're, we're, we're running, we're on hard. we're going to the same Tennessee. So at the well again, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Saqqar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and said to her, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now it's noon, she's tired, she's, she, she's coming to well, draw well for her family, and Jesus says, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus was breaking every cultural norm in this moment. This is one of the most powerful stories in your Bible. He's breaking every cultural norm in this moment. And, and then he, and, and Jesus says in verse 10, if you only knew the gift of God, of, knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. But, sir, don't ha- I don't have you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this is well, this well is very deep. So she was thinking naturally. She was thinking, Jesus, you don't have a a bucket to to draw water out of, and then, and he says, where would you get this water, she asked, and besides, do you think you're greater than any ancestor, uh, our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, You will keep coming back to the well every single day and continue to experience thirst if you continue to do it this way. Some of you are gonna continue to go to the well and you have been going to the well again and again and again and again. But when you see what this well represents, there's a whole lot of bondage that goes into returning to this well. And then he goes on to say, he says, uh, Um, in verse uh, 14 but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life verse 15 please sir the woman said give me this water now she her response kind of threw Jesus off now she it's an exclamation point in your Bible in other words, she said it with emotion. In other words, she was tired of coming to this well her entire life. She was tired of avoiding the crowd. She was tired of avoiding the shame. She was tired of the bondage that was in her life. And Jesus just spoke a word as we sang second song. He, he just spoke a word of authority. And all of a sudden, she says this. Her response was, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come to the well again and again and again to get water. If I receive the water that you give me, and I'm not sure what all that means, but if I receive this water and I'm never thirsty again, I don't have to come back to this natural well constantly to receive. Verse 16, he says, go and get your husband. This is the good part. He starts to identify the root cause of her bondage. He says, go get your husband, Jesus told her. She says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied, and Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Now, how many know she turns white as a ghost in this moment? and. And she, and Jesus admonishes her. He, he reads her mail and then he says, you certainly spoke the truth. And then he goes on to, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. (laughs) What's your first clue? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is only the place of worship? Notice what she does. The same thing me and you do when we're confronted with behavior. He's like, hey, you don't, the husband, you're not living with one, you've had five, go get your husband, you don't have one, the one, and she goes this way. She goes, well, how do you say that we're supposed to worship in this mountain, right? She changes the subject. In other words, she avoids the conversation to have to actually deal with the thing that Jesus saw in her that was holding her up from being all that he had created her to be. In other words, if you're going to experience freedom, you can't avoid it, you have to confront it. And you can only con- conquer things you're willing to confront in your life, right? And so she goes on to read down, and, and, so, and so Jesus plays along, and uh, she says, matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship." Jesus is speaking, while we Jews uh, know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Though, he's a, though she's avoiding what he's trying to get at, he takes what she brings up and uses, uses it as a key to her freedom. He says, uh, The Father is looking for those, lady, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, and there she goes again. She turns it again. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. You ever been around somebody and somebody come talk to you about you but didn't know it was you? Have you ever had that happen? Like somebody comes, yeah, I want to tell you about Jason. That's me. Well, this is what's happening. She's saying there's a Messiah coming, but she doesn't know that the one she's talking to is the Messiah, and Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. So, here's this woman. First off, Jesus, I'm going to show you a little map of his his way of—can you put my map up? There we go. Thank you. So, this is, this is a traditional route, for those of you who see, Jesus passes through Samaria. The Bible says that Jesus made the point that he had to go this way. Now, if you look at the map, here's Jesus, his route, he's in Jerusalem, going to Ephraim, he's going up the middle, and he's going to go up through Nazareth and go up to Tyree. He's going he's gonna to pass through, though, on his journey. Now, the traditional route for most Jewish people was to avoid Samaria, they did not have any, the Bible says that the Jews and Samaritans had no doings together. They did not have relationship together. There was racial wars. There was tension. There was things that went on. In Samaria, really, the Jews saw Samaritans as outcasts. They would avoid the people that were considered outcasts. And so, the, 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 the route would be, there would be a traditional route, and they would go around Samaria up to the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's what I want you to understand this morning. You're like, why are you getting emotional about a map? I'll tell you why. Jesus was a Jew. He decided not to take a traditional route to reach somebody that nobody else was willing to reach. So all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know what? Everybody else is going this way. So in other words, his saying, I had to go this way. He didn't have to go this way. He could have went the traditional route, but instead he decided to take a different route right through the middle of Samaria. Boy, that's our God, isn't it? He wants to get right in the middle of stuff, right in the middle of our life, and he encounters this woman. Keep my map up. Jesus, again, did not have to go through Samaria. He could have went another way. Here's what I want you to see about this, the mindset that Jesus had versus traditional Jews was the Jewish people during that time live with an avoidance mindset. Now I wonder how many of you today deal with avoidance mindsets. You take a traditional route because it's easier, you avoid the thing that God wants you to deal with because it's easier, and you live with an avoiding mindset instead of going right to where God wants to deal with the things in your life. See, because what we avoid, Jesus wants to confront. See, avoiding Samaria by everybody else's standard, they didn't have to deal with the people of Samaria. See, Jesus wants to, he he wants to confront those things. Listen, Jesus doesn't go around messy people. Jesus goes to messy people. You're messy, folks. You got grave clothes and Jesus doesn't want to avoid you. He wants to get all up in your business. Right? He wants, to, why? Because he loves you. Jesus doesn't go around your issues. Jesus goes to your issues. Jesus doesn't try to avoid you. He wants to confront the very thing in you that you can't get over on this hamster wheel so you can come into your purpose and destiny fully in him. Come on, somebody. In John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, you can, you can change that now. In John chapter 3, we know the famous passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. How many know that's a great passage of scripture? But in John chapter 3, Jesus is telling us he came to save sinners, In John chapter four, where we find the woman at the well, he is showing us he came to save sinners. He's not just telling us that he came, but he's giving us a picture of that he he is showing us how he came to save sinners. A woman, Samaritan woman in Samaria comes on the scene. She self-sabotages her life all the time. She comes to the well at noon. Why noon? It's hot. It's hot at noon. Why would you come at noon? The water's going to be cooler. You're going to be able to get your—you're going to have to walk back in the noonday sun. Most people came at six o'clock in the morning. Why? Why did she come at noon? She was avoiding the shame. She was avoiding the sin. She was avoiding the tendency. She was ignoring the iniquity. She was trying to avoid it all so she didn't have to confront it with the people that would show up at the well. She knew, again, that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There's a thousand reasons why this conversation should not be happening. But Jesus, he is in in breaking cultural rule in this moment. You know why? Because he loves this woman so much that he sees something in her that if she could just turn that one switch, all of a sudden— God's purpose would manifest in her life. If she could get healed of that one thing, get free of that one thing, then that purpose would be released. This woman, Jesus has his longest conversation recorded in history in John chapter 4 with this woman. Why? Why does he take time? Because sometimes things in freedom motion take time. He took time with her. Freedom takes time. There are some things that just can't be prayed off. Some things have to be loved off over time. Let me say it again. You can't just go and just pray it off. No, there's some things Jesus wants to do in your life that he wants to love it off over time. I really believe the next generation, that we need to sit down and have conversations with the next generation to love them. and break. The, you're only going to break things off the next generation is if you're willing to sit across the table with them. They wanna have a relationship with you in a way they can ask questions and have conversation, and all of a sudden, through that moment, freedom happens in their life. Because they wanna see, there's a love quotient here that we've overlooked. Church tradition teaches us that we just wave a wand and things happen, but 110% of the church is still in bondage. We're still on the hamster wheel. We still have the tendencies. But God, sometimes in our life, freedom takes time. Jesus opens up this passage in this moment as he begins to parallel the thirst of the body and the thirst of the soul. He starts to parallel the difference. She says, if you ask, he says, if you ask of me, I'll give you living water. See, living water is water that moves, it's fresh, it's clean, it leads to life. Dead water is water that is stagnant, water that is stationary, it's dirty, It attracts bugs, it gets contaminated, and it leads to death. He's telling her, woman, if you take of this water, if you take of this living water, it's going to be a bubbling spring up out of you. It's not just going to be about you, but it's going to come from you, and there's this freshness that's going to come on your life, and your freedom quotient's going to begin to happen. Here's her response to living water, give me this water. She comes to this well, and as she comes to this well, you put my picture up, this is Jacob's well. This is what it would have looked like that day. As this woman comes and Jesus is coming through Samaria, it's dry, it's hot, and this woman who, as a Samaritan, that nobody was supposed to be dealing with, but he was willing to deal with, this is where she frequents. She would come to this well constantly. Jesus, in this moment, this woman not only identifies her physical uh, uh, geography, but she also deals with her spiritual geography. In other words, she keeps coming back to the well. She's coming with her water, water pot. She's coming to fill up in the natural. She's coming to take up the water that's in this well, and she takes this water pot, and she's constantly going. She has to go every single day to this well. But deep down inside this woman's heart, she's running in circles. She's going to the well. She's going back home dealing with the same issue. She's going back to the well. She's on the hamster wheel. She's running in circles. But the good news is, is she encountered the one who wants to break the circle and the cycle in her life to make her into all that he wants her to be. She, she, see, she was coming to the well because there's four basic needs that all of us encounter in life. This is natural. First off is acceptance. We have a need for acceptance. She was coming to the well for acceptance, approval, approval of man, approval that she was okay in her moment. The second basic need we have in reality is, you can keep my well up there, keep my well up there, please, is the need for identity, is the need for identity. She came to this well trying to figure out who she was. She identified with this well. She identified with all the broken relationships that she had. She was avoiding the people that knew her reputation. She was not wanting this moment to be something of devastation. She didn't know who she was. We have an identity, need for identity. We have a need for security in our life. We have a need for purpose. This woman had none of this. She had no acceptance, she had no identity, she had no security, she had no purpose, and she was coming to this well to find all of it. But what she didn't realize is that she was coming to the one person that the one person would say, I'm not gonna take a traditional route, I'm gonna go right through the middle of Samaria, I'm gonna encounter a woman that nobody else wants to have any dealings with, and I'm gonna break every cultural standard there is, Because I love this woman enough that I see something in her that if she can just get a little bit of freedom, that God would turn her into a world changer. And all of a sudden, this woman, she started to go to the well, but Jesus said this, Jesus began to try to communicate to her that, listen, folks, if you keep running to the things of this world, to the wells of this world, and you don't start running to living water, you're going to stay stuck for the rest of your life life. God wants us to start to run to living water, to run to the well that he has for our life, to the the purpose. See, the world creates toxic cycles that keep us going back to the well. And the more we go and when more we interact with the toxic cycles of today, the more we're going to keep going back to a well that eventually is going to run dry. Keyboard guy, you can come out. Quote is this, man's nature. I'm sorry, ma'am, my bad, sorry. Amen, sorry, Elizabeth, sorry. (laughs) The, the, The quote says this, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Listen, we have a perpetual madness go looking for satisfaction in dry wells. Psalm 63.1, if we have that verse, you can throw that up there. I know I'm all over the map with these folks today. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. This is a prayer of David. Listen, C.S. Lewis said God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. We can't experience freedom apart from, 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 from Jesus. And here's the bottom line this morning. Jesus is saying to you this morning, folks, if you'll give him your well, he'll give you his water. If you'll give him, at the beginning of this series, If you'll give him your well, if you'll give him the thing that has become a tendency and iniquity and a bent place in your life, you give him the well and he'll give you living water. See, the thing about this story that I love is that after this encounter, this woman, the Bible's very clear and detailed. It says that she left her water pot. See, her acceptance need, her identity need, her purpose need, all of that was found in her encounter with jesus she had to be willing to let her well go in order to experience water the living water bible says that she set her water pot down and the bible says she ran back into samaria and when she ran back into samaria this was her message come see a man that told me all things. Now think about that statement. Five husbands and the one she's living with is not her husband. Can you imagine the message of come see a man? Everybody was probably like, lady, you crazy. We know you've had five husbands and the one you're living with is not your own. But there was, some, there was something so significant about her exchange of her well for his water, that the Bible says that Samaria was flipped upside down. That they begin to come and listen to Jesus's teachings and Samaria experienced revival. So here's my question. Is the well worth the purpose God has for you? Is the well more important? Is the hang up, the iniquity, the hidden thing more important than the purpose that you can't even see yet than the well? See, God wants us to exchange our well for his water, how do we begin to stop running in circles and break cycles in our life? I really believe that 90% of the things we deal with is summed up in one subject, and it's in John chapter 4, and I'm getting ready to close. I know it's late. Listen, John chapter 4 is that if we're going to break cycles and break toxic cycles in our life, we have to change what we've been worshiping. Whether we realize this or not, 90% of your cycles that you go through in your life and the iniquities and things is about you. I don't think we realize how much self we worship. We might not call it worship, but we get a lot of attention to self. So if we're going to overcome the things in our life and we don't have to keep running to the well constantly and we can exchange our well for his living water, it's gonna come through changing what we worship. See, and what he told the woman is the hour is now and that the number one key to freedom and to stop running in circles is the change which you have been worshiping. In other words, what have you been bowing down to? What well have you been bowing down to that's more important than the water and the purpose that God has for your life? Is it really that more important See, Jesus's will, and Jesus will never take from you without offering you something better. He's not trying to just take your well. He's not just trying to take your insecurity. He's not just trying to take that anger just to take it. He's not just gonna take you and leave you empty. He's gonna take the addiction. He's gonna take the the brokenness. He's gonna take the anger. He's gonna take the dysfunction and he's gonna give you something way better than the well that you've been running to every single day of your life. It's time. It's time to change what we worship. Listen, the problem isn't that we want too much from Jesus. The problem is, is that we want too little. Let me say it again. The problem isn't that we want too much from Jesus. The problem is, is that we want too little. See, the path to true freedom begins with true worship. John four twenty three says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking and looking for those who will worship Him. In other words, exchange your well for His water starts with worship. W-W-W. Well, exchange for water comes through worship. Worship. He's saying change your focus off your well. Your well's not bigger than the water of God. Your well's not bigger than the God of the universe that wants to come and live on the inside of you and do something magnificent through you. Exchange your worship, exchange your well. See the true worship is, is I'm going to drink Jesus and reject the unfulfilling wells of life. And when I say drink Jesus, here's what I mean. It means that I know that he can meet my needs. I know that he can fill me. I know that he can heal me. I know that he can set me free. So what do I do? I turn and I worship him. Worship is abandoning my dead wells and drinking his living water. Bottom line. So this morning, here's how we're gonna do our altar call today. We're gonna sing that authority song. I'm on out, band people. And listen, just for a moment, I know where it's 1118. I'm not worried about that. Some of you, your bungee cord's going to break this morning and you're going to exchange your well for living water and you don't care what time it is. Some of you are like this woman, give me the water. Give me the water. It's time if we're gonna experience freedom, this very first message about running in circles is we have to change what we worship. God's told us how good he is. He told us he doesn't run from your problem, he doesn't run from the mess, he deals with the mess. But how do we, how do we start the process of saying, Jesus, I exchange my well for your water? It starts with worship. And it says he's looking for those who are worshiping him. In other words, worship gets his attention. When you exchange your attention from the well to his attention, you get his attention. And all of a sudden the wells of life become obsolete because your attention is upon the one that created you. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app and online at live real life.com.